Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. Oh, man, it is good to be back in the Political Rewind studio after two weeks uh, off. I'm Bill Nygut. I'm just back. I have to tell you very quickly, I won't bore you with my summer vacation, but my wife and I just came back from a trip across Ireland, and it is without question one of the most beautiful countries I have ever visited in my life. The people are so kind and friendly it's a little bit troubling. <laughs> you, look, you look far more poetic. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm filled with the words of W.B. Yeats, George Bernard Shaw, Seamus Heaney, all the great Irish writers. So, but it is really good to be back here for uh, Political Rewind. And my thanks to uh, Donald Lowry and Greg Bluestein, who did such a fine job filling in while I was gone. I didn't hear Donna, unfortunately, but I did listen to Bluestein's show last Wednesday from a really great pub in Dublin. And did, did the drinking help? It, oh, sure. Listen, talking <laughs> po- you know this, Galloway. You're a Scotsman. Well, you know, drinking always helps when you're trying to deal with politics. <laughs> That's Jim Galloway. He, of course, is my partner on Mondays and Fridays on Political Rewind. He's the uh, lead political writer for the AJC. You read his column in the paper on Wednesdays and Sundays, and he oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. Next to him, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, which, of course, you can do by going to GPB News on Facebook, is uh, coming back for another visit. We're really glad to have you back, Jeremiah Olney. He is an associate at Paramount Consulting, Theron Johnson's consulting firm. Uh, Good to have you here. Thanks for having me on again. It's such a pleasure to be on with an esteemed panel like this one. You're you're part of our new generation, Jeremiah. It's true. A millennial on this show, uh-huh. you know, instead of the old geezers like me and Galloway. <laughs> like um, well, well, you're, we'll get to you, Mary Margaret. Uh, Jeremiah, I, I asked you this the last time you were on, but I don't know if it's, anything's changed. Do you have you two, you and Theron, picked up any candidates that you're going to work for in the 2020 cycle at this point? No, none yet. We're keeping okay. the field wide and open. All right, we just always like to be transparent course, about that. Of course. You just heard from Mary Margaret Oliver. She is a Democratic state rep uh, from Decatur. You are not an old geezer. Thank you. Um, And uh, I'm really thrilled to have you back on the show. I know you did a show while I was gone, so thank you very much for that. Always happy to come. Thank you. Sitting next to you, the vice chairman of the Public Service Commission, the Georgia Public Service Commission, Tim Eccles. Um, And, you know, Tim, you're not on the show very often, but one of the reasons that it's always a pleasure to have you here is you always bring treats when you come in. This time, it's a cake made by, I think the woman calls herself Sweet Melissa. She makes these homemade cakes out toward your part yeah, of the... It's in between, kind of in between Athens and Snellville, yeah. and Loganville. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Well, I have to be honest with you, Tim. You're a member of the Public Service Commission, so treats or not, that does not mean you're going to have an easy ride on this show today. <laughs> Yeah, I, I never do. It is good to have you back, by the way. I mean, well, Bluestein, I thought, was, was remarkable. Terrific. I mean, not only does he have the face for TV, I mean, and he's on TV all the time, but yeah. he's phenomenal yeah. Yeah. on the radio. Yeah, so. I, I was really happy that he had a chance to uh, do the show. Um Okay, let's Jim. Let's start with some. Uh, it's not quite breaking news, but it's a, a a story of great political interest. I think for Democrats particularly, we're looking to see how this uh, Democratic U.S. Senate race is going to shape up. While I was gone, I know Teresa Tomlinson, who was the first candidate to officially jump into the race, uh, released her fundraising figures for the first part of the year. They were not st- great. I mean, what, $500,000? 520000 Yeah, it's yeah. a and, little and, disappointing. And we're now, no, uh, I think this morning, I haven't had a chance to go through them, but she's also kind of uh, released the entire report so you can see with the contributions. And most and a good portion of it is small do- dollar. Well, and what I think that's done is to have opened the door for other candidates to jump in. Last week, Ted Terry uh, uh, jumped into the race. He was on the show to talk about that. And now we hear news that... Uh, 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 Matt Lieberman, 
who is not a name well-known in Georgia political circles other than the fact that he happens to be Joe Lieberman's son. Matt has lived in Metro Atlanta for many, many years. Since, uh, he ran a school here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now there's word that he may be jumping in uh, to this race. I, it's hard to figure out what to make of all these candidates well, on the Democratic Well, I, I will side. tell you, the one, one thing that's, that's interesting about this is, of course, when Ted Terry came, uh, came in last week, of course, we, we, we wrote all the stories about, oh, he's going to, going to take the Democratic field to the left. Well, I would think, I would think uh, if, if, if his dad is any guide, I, I would think that uh, Matt, Matt Lieberman is, is uh, something of a centrist. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, he's, um, he, you're right. He may, in fact, bring the, the uh, group of Democratic candidates a little back to the center. Do you have any thoughts about a new candidate jumping in, Mary Margaret? Well, I don't think that Teresa Tomlinson's numbers were, quote, disappointing, close quote, to use your term. Really? But, well, I think that she had to wait until, as we all were waiting, until Stacey oh, Abrams mm-hmm. made a decision. It pushed her back and pushed her back. And there just isn't the energy yet on the federal money to come into Georgia. I think it's a false assumption that... To me, it's a false assumption because I know how hard it is to raise that kind of money for an early, early statewide race. Um, Five hundred plus thousand dollars in two months of small donors and mostly Georgia people is not small. The big givers, I haven't given yet to her, and I will. Uh, there is uh, a lot of opportunity I, for I, her. You know what? Point well taken. I appreciate that. Maybe I do need to rethink what I just said. Jeremiah, it does, on the other hand, seem to have created this feeling that other candidates have a wide open field to jump into. I mean, maybe so, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Speaking of the federal money, if we have a number of candidates, if it looks like there's a hunger in Georgia, if people think they can win this race, then other people are going to think we can win this race, too. If you look back at 2016, we only had one candidate in the race for the most part, and we, I think, suffered for that, despite the fact that we could have gotten a little bit closer than we did. So having all these people excited to jump in the race, I think we're going to benefit in the long term. Tim, you know, it is interesting that we're now, if Matt Lieberman does jump in, he's um, going to be, he's, he's a kind of a Michelle Nunn-like candidate. Here's Michelle Nunn ran, of course, for uh, Senate, son, the daughter of uh, Sam Nunn, and now possibly um, uh, we get uh, the son of the former vice presidential candidate on the Democratic ticket. Al Gore was his running, uh, he was Al Gore's running mate in 2000. You know, I, I think if... Stacy and company thought that the Kemp machine was strong and powerful. Wait till they get a hold of the buzzsaw that the Purdue machine is, because it's even stronger. It has more fundraising capability, uh, and I think it's going to be difficult. I think it's unfortunate for the Democrats that Stacy is not going to run because she spent a lot of money, built a lot of additional name ID, built a team. And I think that is a great loss for their party, not having her on the ballot this time. And and so now she's got another three years to wait to have, you know, to have her name ID kind of uh, be be trickled away, unfortunately, for for the Democrats. Can I jump in for a second? Yeah. I just want to point out that Abrams didn't die. Uh, She's still very (laughs) active in Georgia politics. Verified Action has raised, I think, more money than Kemp's campaign did, or than um, Purdue's campaign did in the last quarter. So she's still here. She's still fighting for Democrats, and I think she is going to be a major player, even if she's not on the ballot. Uh, I have to pipe in, too. The idea that she's fading away is fairly amusing to me. She should should talk with us. Her national audience grows every day. But I think Tim's point is that she is not, in fact, going to face off against David Purdue, who will be a pretty formidable candidate, won't he? Purdue will be very formidable, and he will have all the money that the world can print, because that's Republicans have all the money that the world can print for them. Um, But we have to remember, and I certainly have this conversation with myself every day, how unique and different we are in this time of politics. Uh, The fact that Purdue will have the most money does not change the fact that his total alliance to the president, daily insults of Georgians, is really painful to many, many, many Georgians. It's painful to me. And Many more Georgians, younger people particularly, just do not want to be insulted on a daily basis, and Purdue wants to do that also. Tim, i give you a second to respond to that. Yeah, I do think it's going to be difficult for a white male to come out of the Democratic primary and win. If you look at what happened to John Noel in his primary for Doug Stoner in his primary against the ladies last time, uh, I just think it's it's going to be too difficult, and that's why I think having Stacey or another strong 
female, you know, particularly a black female on the ballot is a key thing for Democrats in being able to, you know, to maximize voter turnout. All right. Well, uh, Jim, I'll give you the last word on it, but I, we're, we're going to talk about more about this as it develops, if Lieberman does get into the race. But if, and, uh, if you want to make any final well, comments, the, the please thing, do. Uh, the only thing I would, and, and we can talk about more about this later, but it kind of, uh, uh, Lieberman would be, would be, uh, he'd be, he has been. He will have been preceded by Sam Mullins, who is so far the only Jewish candidate that the state has produced who has won a statewide election. Uh, we will talk about that a little bit later. Uh, Sam Mullins, who, by the way, is on the show on Wednesday, wrote an op-ed piece in the AJC yesterday that I think uh, many people found to be very powerful, writing uh, thoughts that he had always kept to himself before about what it meant to him to be a Jewish candidate running in Georgia and uh, some of the obstacles he ran into. But let's hold that for a little bit later in the conversation because it is worth a a separate discussion. Um, So let's move on to an important event taking place tomorrow that Tim Eccles is going to be deeply involved with at the Public Service Commission. Jim, before we turn, give Tim a chance to talk about this, let's, you set the stage for us. Essentially, Georgia Power has submitted to the PSC a an integrated plan. Call it a three-year plan. A three-year plan for how they intend to move forward with how they're going to generate power, electricity. From, from what, and from what sources. From what sources. Uh, and how much energy they're going to generate. Right, right. It was, uh, the, the, the plan was introduced in January. It's been under debate, I believe, since April. So Tuesday is kind of the final day. Uh, and this is a big deal. This Why? Is, this is a big deal because right now you have a a, a, a Georgia, Georgia Power is a regulated utility. It is, it is under state supervision, to, to limited state's supervision. And where it gets its power has become pretty much the crucial question for the for the for the for for the regulatory agency over the last I'd say even 10 years I mean we've we've had huge debates over the two nuclear reactors at Vogel and right now one of the bigger questions of course is is solar power Georgia Power has been reluctant to get into into that business that industry and uh, Quite frankly, for the last several years, uh, a faction on the uh, on, on the PSC led by, by by Bubba McDonald and Tim Eccles has kind of pushed the utility into uh, into into much more into the solar camp than they've really wanted. And now, Tim, you seem to have accomplished to some extent that goal because this three-year plan, in fact, does reduce Georgia Power's reliance on coal-generated energy. Am I right? And does call for much greater use of solar to create the power they're sending to customers. Is that right? That's right. And it really was on the the political muscle of Bubba McDonald in 2013 during this same planning period. We do this every three years. So six years ago, it was Bubba's muscle that essentially jump-started large-scale solar in the state. The George Power Company didn't want to do any of it. And Bubba essentially said, hey, we're going to do, you know, 500 and 25 megawatts, which is about 500 super Walmarts worth of worth worth of power, uh, about 3,000 acres worth worth of solar. But what we what our theory was that if 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 we put Georgia Power at the head of the table on this and we gave them an opportunity to make some money off of it, then they would get good at it and they would want to do more. So rather than force them to watch other people do it, and this has happened in some states, Arizona, Nevada, California, other places where there's been a, a hostility between the utility and, uh, and and customers, we wanted to have the power company right at the forefront of it. And, and tomorrow, really on the strength of Bubba McDonald's political muscle again, we are, we are set to do more than 10,000 acres of solar tomorrow. New solar, it will probably be about 15% of the solar built in the United States uh, in 2011. So it's going to be substantial. Bubba McDonald and Commissioner Eccles deserve credit for this. There's no question about that. But the solar panels have become cheaper. The farmers are making money off renting the land to the solar panels. Everything is in the direction of solar. Uh, The fact that Georgia Power is not a hostile person is just their style. They're never hostile. They're always inside the tent 
inside the tent, making sure that what they want for their needs happens effectively. And the PSC is statutorily obligated to make, give them a profit opportunity. So they're in the tent. This is moving forward. Whether or not Georgia is doing everything it can, of course, there are always arguments about that. But the Georgia PSC deserves some credit for this. And I'm pleased that the farmers, particularly in this time of pain for farmers, are having a very low-cost way to rent their fields to solar panels. Right, I need to jump in to help our, our listeners and, and me understand the mix here. So, Tim, currently, it, is it easy to break down what percentage of power generated by, no, it's not, you're saying no, how much it comes from coal-generated plants, how much from plant Vogel, how much from solar right now? Yeah. How, or, or how important is coal to Georgia Power right well, now? Coal has is becoming less important in this vote tomorrow. We'll, right. We'll well, where close, has it been? We'll close four coal, five coal units tomorrow. I mean, it has been as high as you know, almost fifty percent okay. of the mix. So okay. it continues. It continues to drop down. Natural gas continues to go up. We got more gas now than we do coal. But solar is the big winner here uh, because these utility-scale arrays uh, are cheaper than coal. It, it, it is actually, Bill, fractionally lowering everybody's rate. So it's not, it's not just something that's benefiting the wealthy. In this case, it's benefiting everybody on their system. And, and, the, and, and, and the path that the PSC is, is picking for, for Georgia Power emphasizes uh, larger arrays of solar rather than individual household or, or store top. Arrays, yeah, but this, but this but this time we're going to, we're at the request of the farmers we're going to add something else. Imagine a, an irrigation pivot in South Georgia that goes in a circle, but he has or she has a square field. There's what's called dry corners uh, that 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 irrigation pivot doesn't water, and so we are putting a mechanism here where they can put solar on those dry corners and increase the revenue from their farm while still being able to irrigate their corn or their soybeans or their peanuts or anything else that they have there. This is going to be this is going to be a huge winner for South Georgia. Um, Jeremiah, there is an interesting little irony, political irony to this that I can't help but want to mention, although the discussion about what's happening tomorrow really should uh, predominate. But it is interesting that as Donald Trump, as the president, has talked about bringing coal back uh-huh. in a big way, really you know, making sure that our coal miners are act- working in, in active fields mm-hmm. here in Georgia, a Trump state by a few percentage points, they're reducing coal uh, dramatically. <laughs> I mean, I'm always happy to hear that people are ignoring Donald Trump and doing the right thing. I never mind that. But I think, especially here, I'm glad we're making these steps. And again, thank you for being a part of that. But I do want to make sure that we're going as fast as we can. I'm going to pull the millennial card for a second. Hopefully, I'll be on this planet for another 60, 70 years. And I'd like for the planet to be in livable conditions for that period of time. If you look at June, just last month, it was the hottest month on the planet Earth. Period. And if we're not doing everything we can to address that and make sure that doesn't keep happening, then I think we're failing, no matter how good we're doing. Georgia's not unique in reducing coal plants. Uh, and several right. years ago, Georgia Power came out with this plan to close plants and to deal with the significant issue of the coal ash ponds that exist. But we still have the largest polluter coal plant in in America, am I right about that, Tim? Plant share down there. Well, it has it has more CO two, but it, it it has all the scrubbers on it. So where we, is it? It's it's in Juliet, Georgia, okay. which is just a, a bit north of Macon. Right. Um, but it does have all of the pollution controls for mercury, for nitrogen oxide, and for SOX, SOX, and and so it. You know, it, I know that a lot on the Democratic side believe that CO2 is the you know the worst pollutant in the history of mankind but it really isn't the worst uh, I mean there's a there's a lot of things like the nuclear waste sitting at our plant sites that's way more toxic uh, than than CO2 so yeah we are reducing our CO2 but that is not the measure that we're using in our energy plan what is the, what's the most toxic waste it would be a very long discussion and it's reflective of how complex 
the PSC work really is. It's very hard for, I, I spent a lot of time trying to get in the weeds of it in different times of my political career, and I'm trying to get in the weeds right now on the, the coal ash issue. But for the average Georgian to understand what is the most, have a real good debate about the millennial future, about plant shares, CO production, about what's the most toxic waste we give out, is a very, very dense a very, very dense conversation. And the document that we can look at or the public can look at, because I know it's online about what the vote is tomorrow, is enormously complex engineering document. We no longer have a funded consumer advocate in the PSC. We have a, an era where everybody is pounding the t well, not everybody, the President of the United States is pounding the table about some fairly backward-thinking energy issues. And so it's, it's not all roses, in our world of energy. I do feel like we're going in the right direction. We have greatly reduced our CO2. We've we've knocked these other pollutants down to 90%. Uh, we've added all of this solar. We're closing coal plants. I mean, I think that's a good story. Uh, it is a I, good story. And I think we want to continue going down that so road. So let me, let me ask you a different question, if I may. Jim really referred to it earlier. We're... Uh, you are uh, encouraging the development of these large solar fields, collector fields. Um, and and de-emphasizing my putting uh, solar panels on the roof of my house. Why? I wouldn't say we're de-emphasizing it. We're just not going to subsidize you doing it. Why? Right? Uh, be because that means Jim's going to have to pay for your solar panels. And if we do it in fields, nobody has to subsidize anything. It's actually lowering everybody's bills. So why would I subsidize something on your roof when I can go down to Moultrie or, or you know, or Butler, Georgia, or Twiggs County, or Hawkinsville, and put a larger array that's going to lower everybody's rates? Why would I want to do that? There's also, the, there's also Bill, the issue of, of Georgia Power having to purchase the, 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 the excess power that comes off off these individual okay. things, okay. and and that then it becomes a very very who who gets use of Georgia Power utility lines becomes the key issue okay. in, in that debate. And the local issues, the HOA issues, the the sightliness of panels, all that's part of our political. Uh, discussion. When I'm in California in front of $5 million houses that have solar panels on the roof, those folks aren't concerned about the the sightliness, and they don't have an HOA that says... What's an HOA? A homeowner's agreement? <laughs> right. I want, right. You to, I I want, want you to make sure. I want you to think about this. When we did solar rides Tybee, yeah. and, we were, we, and, and we teed up a large acquisition of solar, 90% of the people who had signed up to get that were unable to put it on their roof because their roof was facing the wrong way, their roof was too old, they had too much tree cover, they, have, they had bad credit. It's, it's difficult. Yeah, I wasn't trying to get into a, a long conversation about that, but, but Jeremiah, I just was curious. There was a time in which the federal, the federal government is about to end subsidies for people to put solar panels on their own homes, and at a certain point, didn't Georgia have legislation that yeah, gave we, a tax break credit for we, we, solar? We, we did. It, it was it was capped, wasn't it, Mary Margaret? Right. Every 10 year. Million. Right. And there's also the competition. Georgia Power controlling the side. So there's a lot of density there, and we have H, we have solar issues every year. In the general so state. I wonder, Jeremiah. You know, Tim made it clear that right now this conversation is about this integrated plan, this three-year plan. Uh, but they still got the big one ahead of them, and yeah. that's Georgia Power is going to ask them for a huge. What what strikes me as a huge rate increase, an increase that could add hundreds of dollars to the bills of most consumers over a period of a given year. Right. My biggest concern with that is making sure that these bills are distributed in a way that's fair. I mean, some families, if it's $16 a month, that's not just a lift ride to the airport. That is the ability to pay your power bill that month. And if we're hitting families with these low incomes and there's any way we can change that, then I think that needs to be taken into account. This can't just be distributed evenly and expect everyone to pay the same thing because that could be the thing that breaks the camel's but, back. But, Tim, that doesn't happen until the end of the year. D does the plan that you're going to look at tomorrow and, and presumably approve tomorrow going to have an impact on their request for a rate hike of any sort? is is In other words, is my power bill going to have uh, going to be impacted in any way by the decisions that you make tomorrow? I think your power bill will actually go down a fraction temporarily. Of, of, of a cent <laughs> once, we, once we add the solar. But yeah. once all this, as Jeremiah said, once all this coal ash pond mitigation money comes in there, 
we are going to see probably a rate increase of you know six to seven percent wow. on everybody's bill. It wow. will be substantial. Wow. We'll make that decision in December. And that Mary Margaret doesn't even take into account what they're going to end up having to deal with, Tim and his uh, colleagues on the PSC down the road, when Georgia Power says, okay, it's time again for us to talk to you about an increase Vogel. based on Vogel. Based on Vogel. <laughs> of course, rate paying is the biggest issue the public is concerned about, industry as well as individual rate payers. But I think the public has started paying attention to this coal ash issue. We've had a lot of attention. Uh, Republican districts, uh, Republican dumps, the, the, there's been a lot of good Republican discussion conversation. Jeff Jones down on the coast. Uh, and part of what you're doing tomorrow is reviewing again and maybe moving forward the rules about coal ash. The Cobb County delegation visited Plant McDonough Friday afternoon. I asked to come along and was not, not allowed to come along to look at the uh, coal ash pond there in McDonough. That's an issue the public is also concerned about. Is, is there any geographic uh, concentration of coal ash ponds? Are they are they are they are they in one region? region well, they're all on they're all on the plant sites, and all those plant sites are on a body of water, either mm -hmm. a river or a lake. McDonough uh, on the Chattahoochee. So mm -hmm. we're not talking about McDonough, Georgia. We're talking about Smyrna, Georgia, right. it, it, mm -hmm. and so that was a coal plant. Uh, so the the good news is the air quality coming out of that plant is a whole lot better than it was five years ago. It is, and what's the status? Is that coal pond lined or not lined? These are the kind of questions that the engineers really look at. I visited a coal pond down in Heard County, and the the closing of the plants and the different geogra in ge geography of the of the ponds and the different regulations at different decades all dictate whether those ponds are lined. I, I want you to think about this, that as we close coal plants and the supply of ash be begins to go down, the the builders, the road, the road pavers, not pavers, but the guys using concrete on the road, uh, skyscrapers, anything you're using concrete in, that is getting a portion of coal ash. A small portion, yeah, yes, a, that's a small right. portion. So what's going to happen eventually, not in 50 years, not in 100 years, but probably 150 years, we will eventually dig up all this coal ash, right, and essentially revitalize it and sell it into the construction industry. So it, it will eventually take care of itself. Okay, Jeremiah, I, I guess you're going to have to stretch that lifespan of yours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, listen, we got to take a break. Um, when we come back, uh, we'll a little more on, on uh, PSC, and then we got a lot of other topics we're going to move on to today on Political Rewind. Hey, this is David Green, host of Morning Edition. I'm here to talk with you about that poking feeling, the one that keeps reminding you to support public radio. You can support the programs you love by donating your used vehicle. That old car or truck could be worth hundreds of dollars to this station. All you have to do is call, and you might even receive a tax deduction. Go to gpb.org slash cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR and thanks. On the next Fresh Air, a wide-ranging discussion about TV with Emily Nussbaum, the Pulitzer Prize-winning TV critic for The New Yorker. We'll talk about how the Me Too movement has altered the way she considers the work of what she calls terrible men, why she thinks you don't have to feel guilty about watching TV instead of reading a book, and more. Her new book of essays is I Love to Watch. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. We're back on Political Rewind. Tom Faust uh, pointed out to me that at the top of the show, I did not mention what he asked me to mention, which is that we're heading out on the road again with Political Rewind. Uh, we're heading to Augusta this time on August 12th, Monday night, August 12th. We will be uh, doing our show in front of a live audience at the Jesse Norman School of the Arts. I haven't seen the Jesse Norman School of the Arts, but you know if it's named after Jesse Norman... This has got to be a place that's got a lot more class than anybody on this panel. Okay, okay. well, well I, don't, I don't know about the arts. Uh, I will say no, topic number one, cybersecurity. Uh, yeah, that's right, because obviously they have a huge center out there. Um, Jesse Norman School of the Arts, Monday, August 12, 7 p.m. Yes, of course, you can just show up that night, but what we'd prefer is that you go to the Political Rewind uh, page on our website, uh, politicalrewind.org. You'll find a link where you can sign up for a free ticket. Just assure yourself that you have a reserve seat when you walk in the door. We'll be talking a lot more about this as we move forward, but I know our team is really excited about getting out 
to Augusta. Uh, Tim, uh, one final, let's let's close our conversation about uh, what work you're doing right now. But I know one of the issues that's uh, terribly important to you is uh, the subsidies for uh, low-income families who are having a hard time paying their power bills. Yeah, that's right. I'm so excited that tomorrow we will approve a new pilot program called Pay As You Save that I learned about at the Verge Conference in Santa Clara, California a couple years ago. I came back met with a power company and our staff and said, look, I want to I want to embed this into the IRP. And what it does, uh, Bill, and our panel, uh, it basically takes a low-income person that, you know, meets the income requirements, that owns their own home, and it does five, six, ten thousand $10,000 worth of upgrades to their home. This would be energy-related, a new HVA system, insulation, windows. And that ha- we guarantee an instant reduction uh, in their monthly bill, but that house is tagged with a pay-as-you-save tariff. So they're going to pay a little bit more per kilowatt, but we will guarantee that their monthly bill is lower than what it was before. And you're going to vote? This is something you'll vote on and yes, approve tomorrow? we will. We'll, right. and, and it would be for 500 homes, and we're going for some of the highest energy burden zip codes uh, to be able to implement this. So I'm really excited right. about this. We'll watch how that uh, unfolds. Um, Let's move on. Mary Margaret, uh, the president, in a uh, series of tweets late last week, said immigration raids are going to start again on Sunday. We're going after the undocumented uh, people living in cities across the country. To the best of our knowledge, there really were no raids yesterday. But when I read the articles about attendance at churches yesterday, about some of the parks here in Metro Atlanta, they're often filled with uh, uh, Hispanic residents of our our area. Uh, what I'm what I see see is that apparently the the fears about the raids had an impact. Fears and fear is what he sells. Uh, my church was act has been active since 1994 in uh, refugee services. We had a part of our program this weekend on refugee protections. Uh, fear is what he sells, and it has an impact. There's no question about it. And what he says he's going to do is always questionable, as we as we know. Uh, the idea that you're going to go out and capture 11 million people and put them where at what cost is is really a fanciful idea and it is only based on on fear under the obama administration which deported more people than any other president as we know um they were the the rules were to focus on on the criminal activity people with criminal activity and now president trump says it's not only people with with criminal records it's it's everybody they can find but again it's an empty threat that uh, generates fear and response from people like people at my church downtown so uh, two points about that Jeremiah one mm-hmm. Mary Margaret is uh, qu- quite right in reminding us that while Democrats like to uh, uh, castigate President Trump for his policy on trying to deport as many people as possible President Obama became known as the deporter in chief he had a had a big reputation for getting people out of the country, many with criminal records. Nevertheless, he was tagged as someone who supported massive deportation, too. So that's one thing. But the second thing she points out is, you know, we understand that President Trump plans to get reelected by appealing to his base and that that's the way he's led his administration. But at a certain point, are there diminishing returns here? How many times can you say you're going to do this, then not do it before your base begins to have some questions about what you're able to accomplish? Well, to point one, I think that one thing that's kind of been lost in partisanship lately is that just because a Democratic president did it doesn't mean it's right or wrong when a Republican president does it. Right is right is wrong is wrong. So if you were deporting a lot of people and if Obama was doing that, that's something that he probably shouldn't have been doing and Trump shouldn't be doing it either. Uh, To point two, I don't think it's going to have diminishing returns. Fear is the point. It's not incidental. It's to scare people, to Mm -hmm. Representative Oliver's point. And he's doing it very effectively. And I don't think he's basically going to get tired of it because when he does this, immigrants documented, undocumented between that, things like the census question, he is driving them out of underground. He's driving them out of sight. And he's probably going to be driving them away from voting as well. Any sort of public participation is now a risk because if you just go out in public, maybe there'll be an ICE agent somewhere. If he keeps threatening these things, his base still supports them. He just had his highest approval rating, I think, a couple weeks ago that he has in years. So this is terrifyingly working. 
Yeah, and and, and look, I, uh, Bill, I think it's a. Uh, uh, this is kind of a foreshadowing of 2020. This is what it's going to be all about. Uh, for instance, if you, if I think on on Friday, uh, Vice President Mike Pence visited uh, a a, uh, a a jam-packed uh, 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 station in in Texas. Yep. And you know, of course, reporters there were saying, "Oh, it smelled terrible," and they were crammed in. in in the campaign ads to come, you're not going to smell anybody. You're not going to hear anybody, but you will see this mass of people behind bars. And that is going to, uh, that, that is going to be an image that, that, uh, that the, the Trump campaign is going to use. Tim, is, uh, is talking about deportation, trying to get tough on, on immigrants, uh, undocumented immigrants, going to be a, a winning message here in Georgia in 2020 as far as you're concerned? Yeah, I think Republicans are concerned about immigration. I mean, when I put on my evangelical Christian hat, I'm... You know, I I am concerned on how you know how people are being treated and what's what what's happening down there. But uh, when I when I put on my Republican hat or my public public policy hat and I think about okay, are we doing something down there that's sustainable? You know, are we taking care you know of the people that we have on our streets? You know, in Atlanta, in an, in other large cities where we have tent cities and other things. And I think. I think, you know, the president has kind of staked out this territory. He's going to keep going down that road, and, and, and that he's not going to change that. And I, I, don't, I don't anticipate him backing up. I don't necessarily believe that President Obama's decision to uh, deport people with serious criminal records was a bad decision. I don't think there's a, there's a rational conversation mm-hmm. that we can have. We just don't ever have that rational discussion right. in 2019. <laughs> uh, it, what is happening today is not sustainable. The amount, the number of people coming legally entitled to request asylum, uh, that number of people is not sustainable without some significant rational response to serving them, deciding whether their asylum cases are appropriate or, or not. I'm uh, discouraged about this debate, as I think everybody is. I think that the hyperpartisanship of the uh, debate really uh, ignores the opportunity to have a rational discussion, and that's very We haven't been able to have a rational conversation about this subject for a good 20 years or more in oh, America. Oh, no, I disagree. Politics. It has not been that long. It, it, the exacerbation uh, that's occurred with the current president is, is unique. Well, no, no, no. I, I, there's certainly no question that rhetorically this is ratcheted up to a new high, but what we've talked about on this show many times is that George W. Bush couldn't come up with an immigration plan, a comprehensive reform plan that anyone would uh, uh, sign off on. For a while, it looked like they may. We've had other administrations, Jim, try to do the same we thing. We had a dreamer plan. We well, we did have the dreamers. Okay, right, right. fair but, enough. But yes, but but what's what's happening here? And you're right, Bill. The the rhetoric is is different. And but what it is, it, the rhetoric is guaranteeing that there will be no no centrist position on this. Yeah. By the way, uh, Mary Margaret mentioned it. Uh, uh, Jeremiah, tomorrow, the uh, apparently the administration is going to publish in the Federal Register a new rule on asylum seekers, and the rule essentially, the Trump, Trump is saying, will end asylum protections for most Central American migrants because it will prevent you from applying for asylum status here if you have to pass through a country other than your own to get here. And I think that is, quite frankly, unsurprisingly horrifying that he would do this, especially since many of these countries, it's ironic that these countries that we had a hand in destabilizing a great deal from like, you know, the 50s through the 80s, people whose countries are in worse shape than they were before because of us are now coming here for asylum and now we're saying you can't come here despite the fact that we were instrumental in your country ending up the way it is today. Do we believe anything he says? No, of course not. So we have this rhetoric, this exacerbating rhetoric about bad, bad, bad people and dangerous and then we have these pictures of this dead baby in this father's arms. How can this, how can we as Christians allow this to impossible barrier to a rational discussion All right, to let continue. Me, let me, let, go okay. ahead. Christians Tim, in the Judeo-Christian... Yeah, Tim, that's fine. Tim, yeah, jump in. I mean, in. you guys are piling up on the president here. Yes, and I mean, uh, You know, but I, I think what he has delivered to his base, 
right? What what he's done with his Supreme Court appointment, what he's done, you know, for the evangelical community, for many of other uh, other parts of the you know the Republican base, he has delivered, and and I don't I don't think our folks are going to abandon him. Right. I mean, do we have this immigration thing fixed yet? Uh, no, we don't, uh, and and certainly he is trying to reduce the number of unlawfully present people and to deter future illegals from coming over. I mean, you can't just let everybody, you know, come that wants to come. Actually, I wanted to play devil's advocate when you say people are piling on the president just for a moment. If we believe the part of the problem is that just far too many people are crossing our border, flooding our um, uh, detention centers, whatever, if there are far too many people crossing the border, then in fact, he has had one success. We know that the numbers of people crossing the border uh, in this last reporting period are down dramatically from the previous reporting period. And apparently a lot of that has to do with the president insisting that the Mexican government stop immigrants before they try to cross the U.S. border, stop them at their southern border. I mean, I think if you are looking as a, to work to help Trump get reelected, Jeremiah, you do you can take that and say if the humanitarian crisis, not not the criminal, not the stuff that mm. he talks about, but just the basic humanitarian crisis of too many people flooding in and are no, we have no place to put them, if that's a crisis that's real, I think if you look at him and you say, well, you've had some impact on stemming the flow. But we've had places to put them for years, and part of the problem is that the legal immigration pathways take ages, years, decades in some cases for people to come here. And these are people fleeing poverty and violence and war, and then they're stuck either in the border in Mexico or right here in the United States. And most of these people, by and large, they're obeying the law once they get across the border. These are not violent criminals. These are just people trying to make a better life yeah, right. for their family. But, but you know, I think right. we, we, here's, what, here's what we have our hands full of. If you go to Clarkston, Georgia, to an, a ministry I support called Friends for Refugees that's working with legal immigrants and their families, wives of immigrants who are working at a poultry processing plant, the wife doesn't speak English, the government's not going to pay for her to get English as a second language, and here's a nonprofit over there helping to teach her English, keeping her children while they're teaching her to do that. These families in Clarkston, and they're, they're, and Mary Margaret, you're familiar with the, with, with the area, they, they have great needs, and we've got our hands full just trying to take care of of this group of people that's there. And when you talk about opening the floodgates on the southern border to bring more people in, uh, I just don't think we are Who is talking about opening the floodgates? Republicans love to talk about open borders (laughs) or what Democrats advocate. I have yet to see... Democrats who really are saying, let's just open up the border and have no The floodgate is open. Uh, It it is open. It's overwhelming our our system. Let me me ask you something, Tim. You you said something very, very interesting about about having a a, a Christian evangelical hat on and then putting on your Republican hat. And you do have people wondering about, you know, whether that's proper, whether you can, whether you can take one hat off. Uh, would you want part of the problem is that our efforts at the border are simply uh, single faceted it's 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 to treat it's 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 to put these people in in containment uh, sometimes sometimes in it, it looks like the, uh, the 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 containment is 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 harsh by design in order to s- discourage more people come fr- from coming uh, across but would wouldn't you would you support a greater effort uh, involving the US State Department uh, and other federal agencies to 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 put more resources in El Salvador and Guatemala in 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 the Honduras uh, to help the economic conditions that would stem that flow. So my would, wife, my wife, and my two daughters went to Honduras to work with Baptist hospitals there to do surgeries for you know for for people I there. I, mean, we, I, I understand the volunteer. I understand, I understand the volunteering aspect, and and I think that's very admirable. All I'm I'm asking: Would you support a federal government effort to 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 really try to try to mitigate some of, some of the the conditions down there that are causing the flood? Uh, possibly. Uh, it, it it depends. I, I don't want to prop up their economies, you know, right. certainly. I got I to gotta take a break. The last word of that segment, 
Possibly by Tim Eccles. <laughs> by the way, let me remind our folks out there on Facebook Live, there is a difference between asylum seekers and those who are simply looking to cross the border. Be careful when you make comments uh, that you understand there is a difference in those two things. And it's not a, and it's a, it's a significant difference uh, that uh, plays into this larger conversation. All right, let's get another break out of the way. Our final break of the show, we, I, we have so much more to talk about that we're just going to take Terry Gross's hour on fresh air. Here we go. <laughs> Now is the perfect time to clean out the garage and get rid of that car you no longer need. You'll face the coming months with a fresh start, and by donating your used car to GPB, you'll even get a tax deduction. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or donate securely online at gpb.org slash cars. And thanks. Fifty years after the Apollo 11 moon landing, the head of NASA has his sights on another giant leap for mankind. Everybody who was alive when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon, they know exactly where they were when that day happened. My generation does not have that memory. I'm Mary Louise Kelly, NASA's plan to put a human on Mars. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Four till seven today on GPB and gpbnews.org. Or ask your smart speaker to play GPB. Mary Margaret Oliver, I read some news over the weekend that made me think, boy, I'm sure glad Mary Margaret's scheduled to be on our show on Monday because maybe you can offer some insight on a political story that I read in the AJC. Carolyn Bordeaux, who's been an entirely successful candidate uh, in terms of fundraising, in terms of coming close to winning against Rob Woodall first time around, I mean, very attractive in many, many ways, suddenly finds herself with virtually her entire senior campaign staff either resigning or being asked to leave. I know you've been a supporter of hers for a while. That doesn't look good, and we don't know what's happened. I'm a strong supporter of Carolyn Bordeaux, and she is a a very effective campaigner. I don't think changes of personnel and campaign this early uh, makes a a whole... It's not a a thing you can really interpret from it. It could be a stronger move. It could be a weaker move. It's decisions that are typically made. I'm just glad they're being made early. She's a very strong candidate. The field is changing uh, almost daily. That reflects different kind of needs. Well, that's what I wonder. Kind of campaign. And 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 look, look, you've you've got a you've got an economy at work here where 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 you have have uh, staffers of every campaign holding themselves out, and they're being offered. You know, they're being drawn into this circle, that circle. Uh, and and this is a remember this is a congressional race that's and and Bordeaux is now going into her third year uh, of, of of this so this is I think a little turnover is is to be expected one thing I would point out Bill just as we were going on the air uh, uh, we had a little bit of news on that and that uh, Sam Nunn is is endorsing uh, Ms Bordeaux oh that's Excellent. a big story Excellent. so it's not but so so what I'm saying is is that's not something. It's, you know, it's it, it, that may be something that's that's needed to deflect a little bit of the attention, but it it also signals some strength. All right, I, I think Jeremiah, <laughs> yeah, jump in. I think it's fair that people have staff turnover. So I get that. Nevertheless, it does make us look at the race for a minute and say what's going on here. I mean, I understand the desire to ask questions and figure out what's happening, but like Representative Waller said, it's, we're still very early in the campaign cycle. We're maybe a quarter of the way. Uh, to the next campaign, to the next election. And this is probably the most exciting time to be a Democratic political operative in Georgia than it has been in 20 years. And people, I understand the inclination to kind of want to explore opportunities. I'm sure people are getting a lot of offers now. Georgia's become a hot state. Statewide elections are coming up. And Carolyn Bordeaux, I think, has every right to sort of reshape her team and get the group together that she wants. And what we don't know and probably will never know is if there's some folks at the national level that said, hey, you you know, you're in a competitive district. We're planning on putting a lot of resources in, but we need you to step up your team a little bit. And so she would she would never announce that or say that. I don't know that that that's what's happening, but certainly that could happen. Hey, hey, Tim. Hey, Tim. Okay, Tim, you've been you you, you, both you and Mary Margaret have been. uh, uh, on campaigns, I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you've uh, had to kind of say changes in order to your staff? Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I've seen you know family situations come up for staff members, or maybe 
as a result of a previous campaign, you know, folks just, they weren't pleased with the responsiveness of the staff member or whatever reason. And, and so they're changing horses because they know what it's going to take this time, and they just want to have, a, you know, an A-team in order to move forward. It's a very competitive arena. You look at the, the uh, Roy Barnes spent $40 million and, and lost. That $40 million went to 40 million different vendors. <laughs> there, there's a business out there. Theron Johnson is a businessman who's competing for that $40 million. I don't know what the total dollar of Carol and Bordeaux's campaign will be, but it will be the most flippable. The, the congressional district in Georgia has the most attention nationally. Um, is a whole lot of money to divvy out. And and it's I've, a very competitive arena. I've seen consultants come in, new consultant who says, look, I want my campaign manager in there. Uh, because I work well with them, they know me. I like them. I mean, even even something like that can change the uh, the composition of the staff. There's a thousand different reasons that you change staff, and some of them are good and some of them are All bad. Right. But it's progress. All right. Well, thank you for taking that issue off the table. We don't have to talk about that anymore. Jim Galloway, uh, the uh, leader of Mary Margaret's caucus in the Georgia legislature, has endorsed a candidate for president. One of the very few elected officials, Democratic officials in this state, who have jumped on somebody's bandwagon. Bob Trammell made an endorsement. Yeah, this is Bob Trammell. He's of Luthersville, down down in the LaGrange area. And, yeah, he's he's endorsed, uh, endorsed Kamala Harris. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that, I think, is, is, is pretty significant. Uh, it sh- you should also uh, note that he has been targeted by uh, by uh, by Republican forces. Yeah, especially uh, the anti-abortion forces right. who really want him out. Right, and uh, so so this may be a, a strategic t- decision on his part too. Mary Margaret, what do you think? Are we going to start seeing? You're not going to announce an endorsement. Kamala Harris isn't about to get your endorsement today. Not if today, it, if ever. Not today, but she's a star. Yeah, and I'm giving money to a variety of different candidates. I'm uh, very excited about her. I'm very excited about several others. Uh, we're going to see people step up and make decisions. Uh, Mayor uh, Bottoms uh, endorsed Joe Biden. So this is going to happen on a daily, weekly basis. Um, I, what do you think, Jeremiah? Are the candidates... I, I mean, Georgia now has set a primary date, March 24th. I think that's the correct date, right? Am I right? Okay. Uh, so I would expect we're going to start getting a little... We've already had more attention than typical. Sure. <laughs> but as we start to get more, you're going to see more pressure on elected officials like Mary Margaret to jump into this thing and, and put their money on a, on one candidate, yes? Oh, for sure, yeah. But, I mean, we're still, what, seven months out, eight months out from the yeah. primary date? Yeah. And we still have over 20 candidates left in the race. We've only been through one debate so far. I mean, I don't, we don't know who we're supporting yet. If we, we couldn't pick one candidate if we wanted to. But I think it is good that we have... <clears throat> very prominent elected officials, Democratic elected officials in Georgia who are willing to step up and say, I support this candidate, because that brings new attention to us, that brings those candidates' attention to the state, and hopefully that you know makes them more inclined to spend a little more time here and bring the national media with them and say, we can win Georgia. This, if, if, I mean, just think of, remember what happened on the Republican side. You had you had Republicans here in Georgia cycling through four or five <laughs> candidates as they dropped off. Yeah, so, that's uh, right. That's right. And, okay. and, and again, we're the it is March 24th, yeah. and uh, uh, you've got Super Tuesday ahead of that, and ahead of that is New Hampshire, and ahead of Iowa, that is Iowa. New Hampshire, mm-hmm. you've got, uh, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of time to go. We're out of time for uh, today's <laughs> show. Jeremiah Olney, Mary Margaret Oliver, Jim Galloway, thank you for being here. Tim Eccles, thank you for being here to help us uh, with the way you're approaching tomorrow's important day at the PSC. And I will add... Sitting in on PSC uh, hearings, I realize just what a valuable role you play because you do it so the rest of us don't have to. It's a tough job. Thanks, Thanks for lot. being here, Tim. By the way, uh, very quickly, Robert Jimison just tweeted me that Keisha Bottoms, mayor of Atlanta, is going to be speaking on Capitol Hill about the city's climate change plans in front of a Senate hmm. Democratic committee. Uh, mayors of Honolulu, St. Paul, Pittsburgh, and Portland will also be with her. We'll talk about that on Political Rewind later this week. I'm Bill Nygut. See you back here again tomorrow. Oh, is vacation ever over? Bye-bye.